five nanometer chip technology, probably that is on a list if it isn't the hardest thing to manufacture. So this is not a commodity that we're talking about here. We're talking about like the pinnacle of human engineering and design and Welcome back to For the Future, where we break down today's tech news for anyone and everyone. This is Mark. And this is Michael. And here's today's tech spotlight. So today we're talking about the DJI Mavic 3. Um, Just launched this past week, and it is the coolest drone you've ever seen ever. Um, I want one super bad, but I also don't run a uh, drone footage company. So $2,200 for the base model alone is probably not within the funsies uh, spending limit. So we're just going to talk about it and show off some of the features it's got. Um, it does it, it supports Apple ProRes. So if you've got one of the new iPhone uh, 13 Pros, you can uh, run that between those two systems and get on board with that. It's really cool camera technology. Um, it's got two awesome camera model, models on it. It's got a, a telephoto and a wide-angle lens. Um, some of the shots from the promo videos are just... I don't even know. Uh, the only way I can describe it is breathtaking. I mean, it, it's just amazing to watch what you could do with it. Um, you know, the the videographer and me just you know has a lot of cool cool ideas to to run with that. But it'd be a pretty expensive toy for me. It's got a fifty <laughs> minute flight time, which is amazing to think that you know they've come that far that they can um, fly for up to fifty minutes at a time. Um, it's got Wi-Fi six media transfer, so you can move files back and forth really quickly. And I think the coolest feature um, is it's got a, an active tracking system. So basically, imagine you're mountain biking down a mountain. There's you know tall trees all around you. You're rocking the trail, and you've got your drone like avoiding trees and doing a panning shot of you making your way down the down the hill all at the same time does it completely automatically. I just think that'd be the coolest thing or, you know, when I'm out kiteboarding, I could just imagine having that thing, like doing a panning shot, like from, you know, vantage over the water. I just think that'd be such a cool, that makes it for some really cool footage. Um, again, it's a $2,200 system. So probably not just for, for the fun of it, but really awesome to see how far that technology has come, even in the last couple of years. If you're interested in getting into a drone, they make the Mavic Mini, um, which is a great uh, a great place to start off. So if you don't have uh, the the funds to put up for a Mavic Three or the um, commercial license to fly it, uh, the Mavic Mini Two is also a great great option for you as well. So thought that was a cool one. Just wanted to chat on that a little bit. Um, maybe I'll still start that that drone photography uh, business someday. Yeah, DJI has been coming out with some really, really cool stuff uh, just with their drones and they're doing some cinema camera stuff as well. And then just mm-hmm. like as a, so everyone kind of knows where this sits in their lineup. So you said like they have the kind of the Mavic or like the mini on the bottom, then they have the Air, then there's the Mavic line, and then there's like mm-hmm. the Phantom, which is like their really high-end stuff that a lot of people don't even really use anymore because the Mavics are so good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I have like one of the original airs and I thought mm-hmm. like that does 4k 60. It does all this cool stuff, but it's just insane to see how far they've come. Like that drone that I have has about like a 15 minute flight time. Yep. So 50 minutes is insane. Like that battery must be yeah. huge or the, just the tech that they've incorporated into the drone has just drastically 
changed, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bigger camera, bigger system, and it can fly for a lot longer. I mean, and they make yeah. everything from that all the way up to like they're doing stuff where you can fly like a full DSLR rig on the bottom yeah. of, a, of a system. I mean, they're they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So really, really cool technology out of that company. And like you oh, said, yeah, they even doing, have like FPV drones now. Do you see that? Like the, like yeah, the racing yeah, drones, like that do racing flips and drones. Stuff? Yeah, yeah, so that would be that would be wild. <laughs> yeah, they're all over the place, which is awesome. Great tech spotlight. Yeah, so jumping in the topic today, what do we got, Mark? Let's talk about how Tesla is overcoming the global chip shortage, one of the most severe manufacturing disasters in modern times. Chips are in everything, and they've been in short supply since just a few months into the pandemic last year. What is the link between 60,000 Ford pickup trucks and you not getting a PlayStation 5? A global shortage of chips. There's just not enough of them to go around. Massive worldwide chip shortage. Earnings being cut by up to $2 billion. We don't have these chips. We're in trouble. Today, we're going to cover, you know, what's happening with all these microchip stories that you're hearing about. What are microchips? Why can't we find them? Why are there trucks sitting in lots waiting for microchips? You know, that's like the, the story that we've been hearing for quite a few months now. Yeah, I think that's part of part of the news. You've probably heard a lot about chips lately. Um, you know, just do a quick YouTube search and you're going to find seven videos from CNBC specifically, but a lot of other publications um, asking where are the chips, right? And uh, we're going to we're going to help break down where they are. Why can't we find them? And uh, what is going to take for things to get back to normal with our with our chips? Right. So a brief, you know, kind of summary, you know, what's going on. So with COVID, a lot of the factories across the seas and ports uh, throughout the world had to shut down, right? People were getting sick. We needed to shut down facilities to control the spread. And when that happened, we weren't able to manufacture the chips needed to go into various devices. Like even there's smart toasters, smart TVs, your phones, automobiles, all these have semiconductors in them now. And a lot of those are made, you know, from a handful of companies. And so with all those being impacted from COVID, there is now a huge supply chain crisis that we are still living through right now. Yeah. And another important thing to bring in is that when people are placing orders for things, right, when big companies are talking about placing orders um, for a lot of these devices, because of how our supply chains are set up to be more just in time, um, they're putting out blanket orders, you know, years in advance. Right. Mm -hmm. So when COVID happened, you know, two years ago or whatever, a year and a half ago now, immediately all the automakers looked at that and said, well, people probably aren't going to be buying a lot of cars in a year. So they started reducing their orders to to all their suppliers, right? Including the chip manufacturers. Now, one of the problems with that is that microchips specifically have a really, really long lead time. Um, and it's very difficult for those producers to change over the lines to make something else. So that all combined to basically push those couple of manufacturers, as we'll talk about in a little bit, um, to they're they're not going to sit and do nothing and not make money in the meantime. So they changed over their fabs to start producing chips for other products, right? That still had orders, like um, you know, I'm guessing Apple and you know laptop companies and gaming markets and things like that. All those consumer electronics industries said, well, we're probably going to see a huge increase in purchasing, right? Because people are going to be at home. They're going to be using their Switch, their PS5, their computers, whatever it might be. So they just start, they started producing 
more product for those industries instead. And then <laughs> basically we're at the point where, um, you know, the car, there is a huge demand for cars now. And when the, ma- when the automotive manufacturers go to those suppliers and say, hey, uh, we need you to spool up production, basically the chip manufacturers are saying, well, not so fast. So now that we briefly covered, you know, what's going on, why is this happening? Let's talk about who's actually making these chips. And so there is a wide, wide range of companies. There are companies that are based in the U.S. that are making their chips in Asia. Uh, there's companies you know, such as Qualcomm, Intel, um, NVIDIA, AMD. One of the biggest ones is TSMC, which is a Taiwanese company. And just for your perspective, they have 55% share of all contract manufacturing for semiconductors and microchips. So there's... There's a lot of players, but there's also just massive companies in the market that control quite a bit of what is being made. Yeah, it's interesting. You look at it, there's really not that many companies that design chips. There's even fewer who manufacture them. And there are very, very few that both design and manufacture their own chips, right? I think what you see a lot of, and Mark was telling me beforehand, so five nanometer processing nodes is kind of the new hot technology as far as um, microprocessing goes. There are two factories in the world that can actually pull off five nanometer manufacturing, um, which is crazy to think about. And that's Samsung and TSMC, right? Yes, that's correct. Two locations. Yep. So yeah, literally, it's not like there are lots and lots of these factories all over the place. They're not easy to pull off. Um, it's a super duper specialized, sophisticated technology to to one design, but then to manufacture it at scale. Um, think of it literally the hardest thing and product to manufacture that's ever been conceived of by human beings is probably like five nanometer chip technology. Probably that is on a list if it isn't the hardest thing to manufacture. So this is not a commodity that we're talking about here. We're talking about like the pinnacle of human engineering and design and um, the fact that we can, you know, you can go buy a top end CPU for three to four or five hundred bucks and you can still get your hands on them at this point. You might have to pay a little over market price, but that, you know, we can still get our hands on them. It's still pretty remarkable. Just kind of bringing that back to uh, what we were talking about, just making these, you know, from raw materials to a finished chip is around 85 days. There's not a ton of things that a lot of humans rely on that take that long to get from raw materials into the hands of consumers. So it's a, it's a big deal. And remember that that is just to make the chip, which then gets installed into the product, right? That's Mm -hmm. not even, that's not like the whole car. That's not the computer that goes into the car. That is just one little piece that goes into the computer that goes into the car. So, you know, scale out that whole, that supply chain. I mean, um, you might be amazed because you'll read things from uh, Toyota where like, oh, we make a car every, every minute or something, a new car comes off the production line, right? But mm-hmm. the, the supply chain that stretches out before that car and all the things leaving together right at the last minute to produce that car efficiently at the Toyota facility can be years spanning backwards, right? To produce all those components individually. And it's all orchestrated in time just perfectly to line up. And if any little ripple or, or change happens that isn't predictable, um, you see supply chain disruptions just like we are now. Right. And when, when 40% of the modern car is constructed using electronics 
that's a lot of the supply chain that we are missing now to get finished cars out on the roads and shipped over from Asia for like the Toyotas and the Hyundais of the world. And I mean, there's again, we're talking about like the Ford F-150, like there's there's cars waiting to have those final chips installed so that they can perform safely on the road. Exactly. And like one source we found said that there can be up to 100 individual microprocessors in one car. Um, which is crazy to think about that there could possibly be that many. I mean, like literally a hundred little mini computers of varying sizes that can be in your in your car right now. Um, and the other thing to point out is that, you know, not every one of these chips is a top end five nanometer processing node system that, you know, can be thousands of dollars a piece. There are also just little teeny tiny surface mount devices that fall into this category as well. So really when people are talking about chips as this overall broad term, they're referring to all semiconductor components in general. Um, And it's really important to remember that, you know, for a product to ship, it has to have all the pieces. You can't ship a truck that's missing, you know, a processor for um, the braking line or something, right? That's not safe to drive. You can't ship without that. Now, some of them are just... You know, the lane keep assist, very convenient, but technically not necessary. Um, but it's not as simple as that. And sometimes it can be a $5 or $0.05 part, um, just really tiny, cheap little components. But without it, you don't have a safe vehicle to ship to a customer, so you can't ship. So now that we understand who's making them, how do we get out of this dilemma, this debacle? It's not, it's not going to be an easy problem to solve, that's for sure. So one thing that has happened already is that we need to make some sort of incentive for semiconductor manufacturing here in the U.S. We need to increase domestic production so we you know, become less reliant on other countries. It's an important thing. And so our current administration has already put forth plans to spend money here in the U.S. to just do that, right, to increase manufacturing here in the U.S. And they've uh, planned to spend around $50 billion to do so. Yeah. And the only other thing that will fix this is time, unfortunately. Um, You know, I know there's one issue with containers uh, going out to locations that have nothing to send back to China. Mm. And because it's really expensive to send an empty container there, you know, that's this is just one very simple one example of it. But um, so there's containers sitting in locations that have nothing to send back to China because of a, a surplus import versus export ratio. And so there's containers that are just sitting empty. And so China's not receiving back enough containers to fill to send back out. So there's one issue. Um, there's labor shortages, labor strikes going on at ports. There's uh, trucks all over the place that can't run. Um, there's, you know, there's the port to the truck to the location. Um, there's COVID spikes going on around the world in certain places. There are rolling blackouts in China right now to uh, deal with uh, energy shortages uh, for assemb- you know in locations that are assembling these devices. I mean, there's just a whole host of issues, and unfortunately, it's just going to take time for all of that to spool back up and get back into um, that perfectly orchestrated dance that we play with these just-in-time uh, supply chain situations. So Yeah, like the backlog of product needs to have time to work through it to get the stuff that's sitting at ports where it needs to go and then to just get that supply chain up and running again as it was before. It'll take time. It's just going to take time. So with that being said, um, you might say, well, you know, why are, why are we spending all this time and energy making such specialized products if it's just going to cause issues and I can't go buy my F-150 and my MacBook and, you know, whatever else I want to get right now, right? It's not in the stores. Can't just go pick it up. And 
the answer to that is because that is how our increases in technology and performance is going to keep occurring for us, right? In the past, we used to just make faster, better, stronger compute cores, and they would just brute use brute force to run the scripts that we were writing faster and faster and faster. And what we're essentially reaching is kind of the the quantum physical limit of how small and fast we can make an individual core. Um, You can only get so much energy and power through these really tiny little chips and it just can't go any faster reasonably. So now what we're doing is engineers are designing chips to actually handle specific workloads. Um, And that's like one of the big reasons why like the, the Apple Silicon is so good is that the Apple engineers decided to split some of the some of the functions that a computer needs to run into varying components, right? You've got the efficiency cores, you've got the high power cores, and all those background tasks that normally your CPU has to process one after another after another. Now the architecture is set up so that the uh, the scheduler knows to send those low power background tasks to the efficiency cores. They are specifically designed to handle those those instructions and then your higher power tasks are sent to your um, performance core. So just by doing that, we've seen these massive jumps of gains in efficiency and performance. Um, and that's what every industry is doing, right? So that's a great example of it. Intel is also doing that. Snapdragon's been doing that for smartphones with their Qualcomm line, or Qualcomm has been doing that with their Snapdragon processors for um, Android phones. Both AMD and NVIDIA are doing this. Um, for specific workloads, uh, the most recent one from NVIDIA would be um, the ray, ray tracing. So they're designing mm-hmm. in those specific shader cores just to process. It's a really cool feature um, that gaming developers are starting to take advantage of. Crypto miners are, you know, companies are beginning to design specific cores and, and uh, modify GPUs. Like, for instance, they don't even have an output for a screen. They are literally just a processing core for, you know, mining crypto. And actually, right. it's getting so specific that you can buy a specific card to mine a specific coin. It's not even just crypto in general. Um, the money is there in the market at this point that they're actually developing specific chips for specific coin, which I think is crazy that it's gotten to be that that big of a marketplace to drive that level of engineering. And also, if you've looked at like the Oculus Quest 2, um, the reason that, that that system is so efficient and has such great performance without being plugged into a gaming computer, which was never before possible, right? I mean, even even a couple of years ago, if you wanted to be um, running VR headsets, I mean, you had to have a really, really powerful desktop. Now with a, a Snapdragon XR2 on board, the Oculus, can, Oculus Quest 2 can actually run really high-end games and process very, very... Um, what was previously a very difficult workload, actually pretty effortlessly on a small battery that fits easily on your head and it can do it for like two hours at a time, which is unbelievable performance gains compared to what it used to take um, to you know drive that level of performance. I mean, you know, a $3,000 computer today is what it would have taken a couple of years ago to get the level of performance that a $300 device can do natively like on board and there's no wire like just battery powered, which is incredible. So it is a good thing. It's the right way for things to go, uh, but it is increased specialization and that does make supply chain issues more complicated. So we're going to just have to keep getting better and better at that to, to avoid these kind of disruptions. Exactly. And that is where we are going to end today's episode. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, this episode, other episodes, 
What do you think about this semiconductor shortage? Did we miss something? Is there some other aspect to the story that you think we should shine some light on? If so, send us those thoughts to forthefuturepod at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, thefuturepod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, thanks for listening.